When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. That's why um, with pistol, we do both. We do sidecar and pistol. It just depends because, like, the spoiler for my season, you know, we're an inside zone team. We're a wide zone team. But this year I'm kicking around duo. And then um, what's the other run play? Then we're going to do pin and pull. We're going to do, like, a sweep. But we, re- we realized with pin and pull, you can't really do pistol unless it's a toss because you want them to be flat. So that's why we decided let's do sidecar and pistol. But pistol for me works well with duo because I do what you said, open up opposite and then hand it off. Cause on duo, everything flows one way and you're trying to get it to go out the back. And then the questions they were asking me were on inside zone. And I was like, yeah, you have to churn and forget the back half. They got to look at the front because my inside zone aims at the leg of the center. I know it's okay. supposed to aim at the guard, but I'm overcompensating because the running backs, if I say aim for the guard, they now start to aim for the tackle. Like they want to yeah. bounce it. So if I say you aim here, I'm overcompensating. Hopefully they get to the to the guard and what what they're supposed to do. So you, you're handing off uh, backside on inside zone as well, right? Or yeah. are you handing off? Okay. Yeah. Do me a favor. Can you make my iPad a co-host as well so I can share screen there? I sure can. Okay. See, I forgot how to do things. It's all good. I now that I never use Zoom anymore. Um, if it wasn't for the podcast, uh, I wouldn't remember how to use Zoom. Oh my gosh! Well, I'm forgetting right now too, so don't feel bad. Ah, there we go. All right. So, yeah, I mean, you can see, like I said, I'm an old school 21 personnel guy. Um, you know, tight ends, I love them. Uh, mm-hmm. Fullbacks, I really love them. I think a fullback H-back is a Swiss Army knife. Now, granted, 
the personnel you have really dictates how well you can use the fullback uh, H-back type deal. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I've found is you can do a lot of different things with different personnel in that position if your offensive scheme kind of allows for it. Um, you know, but kind of like we were talking about, right? So kind of how we would oh, – let me get the pencil up here. How I would draw things up. Okay, so we're looking at traditional tight end, right? We're going quarterback here. Uh, we'll go fullback, H-back, whatever the heck you want to call them, that side right there. So this would be the formation that I would do the vast majority of stuff out of now. Mm-hmm. You obviously can – and that's the great thing about fullbacks is this guy can move anywhere you want him to do. You can put him out there at the wing spot, um, you know, especially if you want to run that toss play out of pistol. Um, you know, the other thing you do is you can put him at wing and bump to sidecar, and there's your pin and pull action too with an extra guy front side. Uh, but kind of what I'm talking about, right, is, you know, whatever. Say we want to run anything – to the fullback side or to the tight end side, I should say, the run surface, right? Right. So everything, as we talked about, is going to be a reverse handoff, okay? And the reason being is if we got this guy here, right, now I don't have to block him no matter what we do, all right? And so I can take that tackle, that backside tackle, which traditionally in a gap scheme is going to block that end. Um, And his block is not – I know there's going to be an O-line coach who gets mad at me for saying this, but his block is not – going to be usually the make or break block on anything the opposite way, right? If we're running ISO left or power left, uh, you know, unless he gets absolutely late and that end comes screaming down the line, he's just got to get a chip block there and not let him get in the backfield and cause mayhem. But now we don't even have to block him. So we can take that tackle who's maybe his block wasn't as critical. Um, and we can now push him, you know, wherever we want him to go front side, you know, we could double down on the, you know, the, the two tech there if we want to, um, or the three I whatever, uh, three tech rather. I'm losing mm-hmm. my train of thought. It's been too long since I talked about this. Uh, wherever you want to go with it, guard can double down on the nose if you got a nose and odd front. Whatever you want to do. And then what this really allows you to do is play with this fullback here, okay? And you know if we're reading this backside end, okay, we're running everything front side. You know we can take this fullback and there's a couple different things we can do with him now. He can lead block. Right. That's pretty standard fullback operation. Mm-hmm. You can do all the same stuff that teams have historically done in 21 personnel. I formation, right. He can leak out in the flat. He can, uh, you know, wheel it. He can, he can, you know, go block an end and we can run power, whatever we want to do. Um, and you might have a guy who is a thumper and can do that. Right. But more and more these days, we're not finding that guy. Right. We're yeah. kind of finding that guy who can block a little bit but he's actually a good runner at the same time. Or, you know, maybe this is the year, hey, I've got two two running backs and I don't have a fullback. Well, we can't run a fullback. You can. You just got to tweak it a little bit, right? right. And this is where kind of watching some of that coastal stuff comes into play here and stealing from, from Oakdale High School here in Maryland, right, is say you got a QB who's a runner and you got a fullback who's maybe not as good a runner, right, on snap, he can come across. He can now be a lead blocker in the alley for that quarterback. Quarterback keeps – you know, essentially, and this doesn't have to be a great block by the fullback. If he gets a piece of anybody out here, you know, overhang, um, a safety who who's late to the game, you know, rolling down, could be some big plays. And that's the beauty of we're still running our gap scheme front side. You have to respect that front side gap scheme. You know, I see a lot of teams with the inside zone on the front side scheme, which there's nothing wrong with. And this can be run with zone if you're a good zone team. But, you know, the zone teams, it's, in my opinion, it's just a little bit easier, little bit easier to bail quickly, especially if you got backers 
who can read that zone step and play over top and play downhill. Mm-hmm. With a gap scheme, I feel like it freezes them for a little bit longer. And then, you know, kind of like you guys do with this backside handoff, I like it because it's a little bit longer of a handoff. And it's a little bit longer eye candy for linebackers and box safeties. Um, you know, they know the tailback's going to go across the quarterback's face. Now, we'll get to the point where he doesn't have to. But, you know, so now I've got to sit another half second longer before I make my decision. But if we're reading this this end or the, the you know, the end man, whoever he is on the backside, the quarterback's probably already made his read by the time the mesh is maybe halfway through. Mm-hmm. So we already know we're pulling and going, right? We're pulling and running. But the backers and safeties have to sit and stay a little bit longer. All right, so we can do that. We can use the fullback as that personal protector. Or if you're particularly crafty and you've got a guy who's maybe a little bit runner, maybe this year, hey, we've got two running backs. We don't have a fullback, whatever. Okay, well, now we can drop step him. We got triple going the other way. You know what I mean? And there's, you know, all sorts of triple rules and stuff. Obviously, you wouldn't be that wide on a triple with the quarterback, but, you know, I'm a terrible artist. But we can drop step him. We can run triple away from that gap scheme front side, away from our three-man run surface, um, you know, or whatever we have, you know, wing teams. You could put a wing there as well if you wanted to, um, you know, and really make it a heavy run surface and really force them to respect that front side plan. You can do everything up front, right? We can trap it, okay? Um, you know, we can bucket. Wouldn't be the best situation here, but you could if you wanted a dummy pull or something like that. Um, but yeah, I just feel like 21 personnel out of pistol is criminally underutilized and it really allows you to Swiss army knife your players. You know, your quarterback's a better runner this year. Well, now we can pull, get him in space with a personal protector with a triple threat. Um, you know, maybe he's a, a decent thrower too. Well, we can run our RPO game backside, you know, whatever our, our game might be, you know, now we're reading two guys. You know, we might be reading the end on the pull and reading the backer on the uh, the throw or whatever we want to do. Um, you're likely not going to get a heavy overhang backside of 21 personnel. Um, you know, or if you do, he's going to be kind of playing lost in space. You're going to get, you know, usually inside leverage from a corner on that side or head up and, and you know you got man coming. Um, you know, so it allows the defense usually sticks to vanilla when they see something like this. It's not an exotic. It's actually the opposite but it's becoming an exotic in modern day football, which I find to be quite ironic. Um, you know, so you talked about pin and pull and here's the other thing you could do, right? So maybe, like I said, Hey, we've got two runners this year or, you know, why not just flip personnel? Hey, we're going to take our tailback, put him right here. We're going to take our quote unquote fullback, put him in the backfield. Right. And now, uh, you know, we could, pin and pull to the weak side we can flip him and do what we call queen which is our fullback or whoever our up back to the weak side and now we can cross face him like we would in sidecar right but what do we have here we still have our triple threat mm-hmm. or our you know personal protector getting out in the alley you know and we haven't changed read keys all we've done is change the formation i think that's the big part of this as well especially if you got younger quarterbacks back there, it's not giving them a ton of read. He's like saying, Hey, here's what we're doing. Um, you know, then maybe you decide, Hey, we're really having a hard time reading the end. And instead of reading the end, we're going to call whether it's a handoff or a keep. All right. And that's just as simple as saying, Hey, now we're going to lock it. We're going to block this guy backside 
and we're going to tell the quarterback to keep it or whatever it might be. And now you're back to your traditional downhill run game. All you had to do was add a lock call or whatever your call right. might be. Um, you know, and that might be year to year. That might be game to game. Hey, our, our quarterback, who was our runner, twisted his ankle week two. We got to put the statue in the backfield now week three. We got to block that backside in. Fine, lock it. And you haven't lost anything in your run game. You can still hit your inside zone, uh, your insert zone, your duo, as you were saying. You know, um, you could run your gap schemes front side with that reverse handoff. And nothing changes. Um, and I think that's a big thing that I guess I would say is that coaches need to get out of the mindset of thinking, well, fullbacks and tailbacks are different personnel. I mean, sure they are in your scheme, but in high school, we're not seeing a ton of difference anymore, especially out here where we are. You know, you might have some of them big corn-fed fullbacks, uh, you know, go play at North Dakota State in the Midwest. But, you know, more and more we're seeing basically out here we have offensive linemen and skill positions. And it's mm -hmm. kind of taken the best in molding what we have with that. Um, but, yeah, it's just some stuff I've been kicking around. And, you know, you could codify everything. And you might say, kind of, I was mentioning a second ago, hey, you know, teams are picking up that we are running cross face on our tailbacks. And now we just want to get downhill. All right. Well, you put in what we have, what I call a same call. All right. Or a, a, a straight call. You know, hey, you're going straight downhill. You're uh -huh. going to the same side of the play, whatever your call might be. And now we're just running traditional downhill ISO. Okay. Right. Now we can read front side if we want to. You know, we can go weak side with it. Right. We can go ISO to the weak side. Fullback can still get over there and kick out. Tailback can be downhill. And now we can front side read it and get off to the races. Um, it just allows you to be versatile and flexible with your personnel. Um, and you can still have a dedicated downhill run game, but still use those read and triple option concepts that really benefit smaller, faster teams. Um, you know, and that's, let's be honest, that's why a lot of teams stick to the triple and things like that because they got athletes. Maybe they don't have five big dudes up front. Um, you know, maybe they don't have five skilled big dudes up front is what I really should say. Uh, so we got to get to the edge. We got to do something like this. Uh, you know, so, you know, again, even in this setup. You're describing our football team perfectly. I, it's most high school football teams these days. Like it just, it is what it is. Um, you know, my last two years coaching, I think our heaviest lineman was a freshman at 275 and he got hurt week three, which dropped our heaviest lineman down to 220. Um, I wish I that, had 220. Well, our average though was really only about 170. We were, <laughs> you know, we were a little underside, which is fine, you know. So we got to become creative then with how we're going to do it. You know, I can't go back in and say, hey, we're going to pound the rock and 21 personnel when I got a 165 pound left guard just getting mauled by the, the you know, the, D tackle over top of him or the linebacker stunting you know, B gap. Like, what are we going to do with that? Okay. So what's our, our solution. And I wish I'd come up with this solution earlier when, you know, when I was still in the game coaching. Um, but it's something I've kind of put in my back pocket um, that keeps me married to what I am best at, you know, uh, and the things I think are, are most successful. ISO, you know, front side runs, all those things, gap scheme, all that good stuff but brings in that element of getting fast guys on the edge, getting our athletes to the edge, you know, not blocking a guy in the box. Like, I, you know, defensive players hate to be read because it forces them into decision. And if we can force them to make a decision without blocking them, 
I've done there. I've done an offensive line's job without committing a body to it. So, um, just some stuff that I've kind of kicked around, you know, if you're coaching from at a smaller school and maybe you've got one or two stud athletes and get out and run, um, or your personnel is just a little down this year, whatever it might be, you know, you can Swiss army knife this as much as you want. A fullback can become the tailback. You might have two tailbacks. One year you might have two fullbacks and you really are going to run a lot more downhill run game and just let the quarterback pull every once in a while. Um, and it doesn't take away from the pass game either. You know, you can twins away from the tight end on this and run two man pass games out there. You can run your RPO stuff. Um, you can run all the play action stuff that you get out of I formation, which is my personal favorite. Um, you know, so there's a lot of different options here that you can use. Yeah. Uh, Everybody knows I love my spread stuff. And then over the past couple years, slowly went back. And now I'm more looking at old school stuff. Like uh, Coach Allball, I sent a message. I was like, hey, just come back on the podcast. He goes, what do you want to talk about? I said, don't tell anybody. But I'm looking at old school runs. And he just laughed. He was he was laughing about it. Um, but Coach Allball is probably going to be double tight, double wing. Well, I think on my podcast last year, he goes, I'm going to tell everybody I'm going to like a pistol look. I'll be in shotgun. And I was like, oh, you've, you've joined us. And then I think he's going to go back to his uh, uh, wing T stuff. But like, tea, yeah. we're in a weird situation. You know, we're in a school of 2,000 kids. We don't have a lot of football players. We don't have big football players. Um, like I said, our quarterback situation, if we had our main quarterback, we could maybe be like a like, – Still two by two, getting a pro set with a hand down tight end, do whatever. And he's big, plays baseball, throw it. Now that we're going to be young at the quarterback spot, um, we don't have a big O line at all. Um, my best lineman should be the running back, probably. Like that's that's kind of where we're at. Um, so the main mission has been since we kind of went to the summer was what can we do differently? And I said, well, let's just do pistol, and that's why I asked you that because. And they said, why? And I had to come up with my why. And I said, well, we got to get downhill quick. Yeah. Like, that's just our thing. We got to get downhill quick. Um, I think if we give our young quarterbacks less to think about, because from sidecar, because they talk about play action, like from a sidecar position. And I said, if we make them cut the field in half, so if it's a pre-snap and pistol, like let's say you run double slants on one side, that's your pre-snap. You want to throw it, teach them that. But as soon as they don't like it, it's gone. Like, then everything becomes front side. Like... Let's just do that. Um, then we looked at our running backs even. Like you talk about footwork. The footwork from sidecar, they start to get wide on things. Um, we ran wide zone last year, and wide zone from sidecar is terrible. Like yeah. to, to be terrible. To get it downhill from a pistol position has been amazing. And last year was the first year we did it was – and then we start, I, then I started to go to wide zone where we – or uh, outside zone where I started to crack down on the end from a wing and we just go around, like that type mm -hmm. of thing. Um, so that's why my head coach texts me right now as, as we start this, which is weird. He's like, so what we still think on pistol? I'm like, hold on. I'm working <laughs> on it. After yeah. our, after our huddle bill, he's like, oh yeah, I sent it to the AD. Yeah. I think, you know, I, I was always, a when it first came, I remember when pistol first came out. It's, I guess I'm showing my age now. Right. I remember being like, why would teams do this? And now fast forward you know, a decent amount of time. I'm like, I don't know why I wouldn't want to do this. Um, you know, I still believe this is my personal opinion. You should have some sort of under center package. Um, mm -hmm. I think, you know, short yardage, things like that um, for a variety of reasons. But, 
you know, I think being a pistol allows you to really have the best of both worlds with, you know, your traditional downhill run game. Um, but you can still have elements of the spread passing game and you can do all sorts of things with personnel, right? You can go get your traditional hand in the dirt tight end and run behind him. You can walk an H back off the line, um, you know, and, and still have three, four wide receivers. You can put in trips. Um, you know, I'm a big believer that trips is a great equalizer for the offensive side of football um, because you know what you're, you, you know what the defense is going to do. Most defenses carry maybe three trips checks and they're really only good at one, maybe two of them. Right. Um, and you can kind of figure that out. So you can go trips and that'll dictate, you know, what you're going to run the pass game or in the run game. And I think pistol allows you to be in that. And I think what you just said about the footwork is huge. Um, the footwork for both quarterbacks and, uh, you know, tailback slash running backs, in my opinion, is much simpler in pistol. Um, it's more akin to the traditional downhill stuff, uh, which is just mm-hmm. – go you know what i mean go towards your hole now obviously if we're handing off backside they're going to bend it but that's just traditional counter footwork and that's not really super hard to teach that's some day one stuff um and really the quarterback just has to open on midline um you know he doesn't have to have a 45 open he doesn't have to have a flat open you know as you work in elements of like i talked about with that fullback going across the face and a buck read or whatever you want to do that gets a little bit different but that can be more advanced the base of what you're doing is hey you know i'm just opening on midline Right. And tailback's going to take this ball. He's going to bend it, or I'm going to pull it, and we're going to get, get busy on the edge. Um, you know, I can either with personal protector, we got that triple look. Um, you know, I can, you can still sprint out out of it, too. Yeah. You know, you can sprint out with a read. You go twins away from the tight end, and we can run that read, let that fullback come across my face. And now I can sprint out behind him. Um, and that end is probably frozen, which just makes sprint out that much easier. Because how many times have we seen? ends just blow up sprint outs because our tailback doesn't chip that shoulder Uh you know so why waste the blocker let's read him force him to freeze or have him commit down the line and sprint out behind that um you know and that's just i I just think anymore unless you got the dudes unless you're you know a big time program that's got you know t5 guys up front it's very hard to just put your hand in the dirt and run the ball at people but I don't think that means we get away from running the ball. And that's the, why I think, you know, Coach Alba and other coaches, Wing T, you know, I'm sure someone will yell at me for this, has been very successful. There's a reason the Wing T still exists. Yeah. You know, there's a reason that philosophy, that scheme still exists. There's a reason why there's a team, uh, you know, on round where I live that still runs double tight, double wing. And, you know, they went to, I think, you know, the final four, the final eight of the state playoffs this year for their classification, you know. Um, there's a reason those things work. And, you know, I think we're kind of seeing a rotation back. I think the spread game's great. I love the spread game. Um, you know, I think it creates so many alleys for running backs and things like that. And that's why I kind of like pistol as well. Um, Cause you still have kind of some of that spread setup where teams are afraid to pack the box. Uh, so you get those run lanes, you get those alleys. Uh, but unless you got the guys who can get out in space and really make it happen, you know, or the guys who can block it, which is really what yeah. you know, I think you and I can both say is where really what makes an offense work is what can the guys up front do. And this allows us to work away from not having five guys who can get it done every play, but having, you know, hey, we're going to get plus one front side because we're not going to block the backside end. You know, and that gives us more options. You know, how many times have you drawn up and play like, man, I wish I had an extra blocker? Well, now we do. Um, you know, it might change the way you draw some things up, but you have an extra blocker, use it. Right. 
because this year we have, like I said, the strength will be our old line, even though they're not big. It's because they're all coming back, like from last year. Um, I have a, so- a senior that started as a sophomore, another senior that started three games his sophomore year. So, like, that's supposed to be the thing, but we're not very big. So that was all another reason why, like, you and my head coach are the same. He would love to be in I formation, just run lead, dive, whatever. That's what he wants to do. Me and the OC kind of think the same of, like, we'd rather be shotgun or something. Now, I'm coming around to saying, what about pistol? What about double-type pistol? What about this? You know, I'm coming around to that stuff. Um, And then, but you can't talk me on my inside zone game, which the head coach doesn't want to. He's like, you know what? The way I block it is kind of like duo, just not blocking the end. We're double-teaming everywhere. We're getting where we need to be. And he likes it because he wants to read that guy. Then when we get to duo... Then we can double the end and just hand it off and say, get downhill. We need two yards, three yards, go, boom. Um, Steve, instead of calling it inside zone, just call it dive. He, he'll he he'll think it's the same thing because it really is the same thing, that's you true. know, as far as your point of attack, right? I think anytime I called dive for me, dive was just one back to whatever hole we wanted and usually was an A-gap. Right. You know what I mean? Like we weren't really running dive B or wider and it usually was a fullback right. diving A-gap or, uh-huh. you know, counter buck action in the backfield. So yeah, just change it to dive and he'll love it, you know, and just tell him, oh yeah, it's just like the old dive play. We're just going to zone block it up front instead of gap block it. Oh, okay, sounds good. Well, well, my this is my third year with, this was assuming my fourth? I can't remember. He's been letting me do it the whole time because when he first heard inside zone, he was thinking like, oh, we're all going to step this way and go. And I said, no, 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 no. I came from two different schools. I ran it as dive blocking, but we're just going to double team, read the backside end, or we can run with a wing and go hit him. Like if you really want to do that, like trap him, it's yeah. it's all good. Um, and then with duo this year, I'm stealing reps because it's all the same thing. We're, we're taking the same steps. We're taking whatever. It's just the aiming point's different. I did that for a reason because I said, I'm taking a new approach. Like we're not going to hit a lot this year because I'm like, if you guys are small, I can't expect you to move this guy three or four yards down the field. It's unrealistic. Like, it, you know, we're not – if I was at a Division One college and I had three hundred pound lineman, yeah, you should see me in practice. Like a block only lasts maybe three seconds. I blow the whistle. I'm like, if we're not three yards down the field, they freak out. They're like, we didn't, we didn't do this. I'm like, no, did you get in his way? Yeah, I'm like, that's all I want. I said the running back has to make us right. I don't care. Um, but then, like I said, the biggest thing for our footwork for running backs, everything has been the same. It's been step, get downhill. Even on the duo where we go fake the other way, they're still stepping one way and then coming downhill. It's just taking a step. Yeah. And it's been, sure. it's been more effective. And then their eyes are already looking downhill where they should go. From a sidecar position, it's like their body almost almost gets churned and then they have to look this way. And well, it's tough. You know, so much a sidecar, you're moving parallel, right? And right. I just, again, this is my personal opinion. And obviously, you know, look at what's working out there. And, and you know, I, I may not know what I'm talking about. But I just found every time we had something that went parallel longer, it gave the defense more time to figure out what we're doing. Um, you know, yes, obviously you need to teach your running back, hit the hole and get up in it and find the seam and run up in there. And that's kind of how you balance that out. But I found a lot of times when you run parallel running backs are trying to turn the edge and I might be, maybe because it's what they're getting taught in youth football. You know, I don't know what it is, but they just want to get out wide. I'm like, well, it's not really working. And you're going to pistol. And what we found is we would even have different depths depending on who the running back was. Like we had a back who, uh, could take that timing step and hit it right. Mm-hmm. We had another back who just couldn't figure it out. So we said, well, screw it. We just backed him up another step. And mm-hmm. he was on, on time from then on out. And it just, 
you know, that's the beauty of pistol too, is that there's so much you can do within the context of just the backfield formation to adjust for what your personnel have or don't have. And I think flexibility is really key. You know, I think all of us know you want to have schemes that fit your personnel. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, you're not trying to square peg into round holes, your players, um, you know, so, and I think just pistol just does that on so many levels. Um, you know, and it, it, like all hybrids, it's not perfect. You know, it doesn't get the best of both, Mm -hmm. but I think together it allows you to have the the best parts of both so that you can make what's best for your team. If that makes sense. Um, you know, yeah, you're not going to be able to throw the ball quite as much as you do in a traditional spread offense. You're not going to be quite as good at running the ball downhill as you would be in, in a wing T or an under center 21 or whatever it might be, but you're good enough at both that it makes you particularly dangerous. It makes you particularly deadly. And again, you know, I keep going back to just look at what coastal Carolina did, you know, mm-hmm. kind of coming out of nowhere with guys who were undersized, basically running, you know, belly trap, you know, a lot of your basic wing T concepts with some, some uh, triple stuff behind it uh, or just some zone read stuff behind it. And they really made some noise and, and, mm-hmm. you know, did some damage against some bigger programs. So it can be done. Um, and, you know, I think the biggest thing is not get, what I see a lot of too, is I see a lot of coaches blinded by logos, right? Oh, such and such school did this and they were successful. Well, bully for them, you know, I don't have that personnel. You know, I'm not a D1P5 mm-hmm. school. I'm not even a D3 playoff school, you know. So I might look at their concept and say, hey, that might work. But what's going to be best for whatever, you know, whatever 30 to 40 guys I got walking into the locker room that day and that season. And that's really what I think the job of a quote-unquote coach is, is to find that. And I think that's what you're going through right now. It's saying, hey, what's best for our personnel? What allows us to be flexible to maximize their skill set? Um, you know, I think it's awesome. I think I wish more coaches would do that. Even established coaches with returners, maybe every year should say, hey, what maximizes our talent? Not, hey, this is what we run. You right. know, there's value to that, but I think the value is really in saying what maximizes our players' abilities. Yeah, because we've been a spread team because me and the OC think the same way of like, similar now he's kind of more gap i had to convince him to do all inside zone so i might maybe i'm the problem maybe this is all coming back to i'm the problem but we want to be spread but then like this was the first summer where we're like oh maybe we can't but we necessarily don't have a fullback either that's why i'm glad you were you had answered a question because again we were like okay we want to do pin and pull sweep kind of whatever you want to call it Mm -hmm. how do we do that from pistol and i had thought about well what if you put the guy here, now he comes this way, and the other guy goes opposite. Even if you're not running traditional triple option, even yeah, yeah it's not just maybe. What if you just motion him like a quick motion, and then boom? Um, so I'm glad you said that. Why don't you just flip flop? Like maybe because we do, we have a running back. Then we have another guy that can run the ball, but he's not going to be the guy that makes somebody miss. He's he's just like hey, downhill. Oh, a guy's coming at me. Let me go hit him. You know that type of person. What if he we flip like you said? What if we just flip on give it to our running back? Just send him the other guy out. So I'm glad you said that because that's part of what we were discussing. Um, and then it's been mainly like quarterback footwork because they the question is, oh, if we run inside zone, the quarterback has to take this big open step and get out of the way. And I said, no, not necessarily. The running back can step to the side and he just shows him the ball. He can just turn and show him the ball. His back will be to everything, but we've already cut the field in half. Like we don't need to worry about that anymore. Yeah, And then, like, how do they run being square to line of scrimmage? And I'm like, well, yes, I get it. But still, like, 
you're showing he can see the defender better, I think, if he opens up all the way instead of from a side, if that makes sense. Because I used to coach it all from sidecar. And our sidecar, they're two yards behind anyway. So they're already doing this. So might as well just move them behind the quarterback was what I was thinking to the OC. And then what you're too is is you're selling with the shoulders. And I think that's a big piece of what a lot of defenders are looking at, right, is shoulder intent, especially your secondary. Okay, if I see a quarterback barely open up, I know he's staying closed. He's probably either going to pull it and rocket it, or just you know, uh-huh. you know, a gap opposite or whatever. But if we see that quarterback open up a full one eighty, right, open up on that midline, now his shoulders can do a bunch of different things. Hey, he can get busy on the edge and run straight ahead and get a sweep. You know, he could pull it and, and bang it right there to a, a quick screen. Um, he's now all he's got to do is flip his hips, and now he can throw it over the top. Uh-huh. You know, and I think having that shoulder intent and those open shoulders just allows for so much more and, and forces the defense to think, okay, what are the options the offense has right now? Um, you know, and that shoulder intent can freeze a lot of guys too, you know, uh, back when I was coaching DBs, I can't believe I ever said that, but you know, <laughs> we were looking at like, um, you know, uh, golly, forgot the word, but when you're reading on defense in the secondary, not your traditional cover two, um, the robber Tampa. No, I can't think what it's called, but, you know, when you're reading number two, whether he's going vertical or going out. Yeah. I just, yeah. yeah. So, you know, you're reading shoulder intent. Hey, where's he going to throw it? Well, now that shoulder intent can be a liar. You know, like, hey, his shoulders are open. We might want to throw here. Well, he can throw anywhere he wants on that half of the field. Um, you know, so there's just a lot of different things. If you go twins backside, you can get flood concepts out of that and basically freeze three defenders, take a safety out of the run scheme, force him to that, you know, twin side or, you know, whatever. Um you know, palms. That's what I was looking for, palms. Um, yeah, my brain's but, fried. You can see I'm sunburned. I don't even – I was I was not even remembering that. Anyway, I was going to say blue was coverage, a, mixed coverage. What are you talking about? <laughs> I was on a boat all day Saturday. <laughs> Went out to the middle of the Chesapeake Bay. Uh, yesterday I was at the beach for too long. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. So, um, Plus it's been god-awful hot here, so just sweating. Cont- I mowed the grass oh. today and it looked like I got sprayed with a hose. Oh, yeah, it's 95 out right now I think here. Oh, well, it's raining here now, which is great because it's only going to increase the humidity another 15%. Uh-huh. uh-huh. But, yeah, I mean, I, I just – going back to, you know, pistol is great. And I think when you go 21 with that, it just gives you so much more. And like you said, you can still run that traditional uh, pin and pull, whatever, buck, however you want to do it. It doesn't matter. Whatever scheme you prefer. And then if you send that other back the opposite way, you're going to freeze backers, freeze safeties. If you got a guy who can run it, you got a triple look. Or, like I said, that back can get out front just be an alley blocker for the quarterback to keep it, you know, and again, it doesn't have to be a read. You can call it, you know, when you know it's, it's about to pop, um, you know, so I just think it allows you to have so much flexibility with, with more backs in the backfield and allows you to get probably your better players, more of your better players on the field. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Cause our biggest play for the last couple of years has been ISO and I haven't gone back to it yet this year, just because we didn't know what personnel we were going to have. Sure. But one thing we doubt are gonna we were looking at was if we get tight end wing and we run iso and they don't like it we can shift them over we're in into shifts like we're trying to keep mm-hmm. things you know whatever or if we're on pin and pull and we line up tight end wing on one side or that nasty set oh well let's shift and see if they adjust if they don't we still go that way you know or whatever we're going to do and i said out of pistol they don't know which way the running back's going to go because he's behind we can shift this way and run iso back the other way like you could do different things like we did last year we just did from sidecar um 
and we did both last year. I'm not going to lie. We were sidecar, and then sometimes we were pistol. We were that keen queen set. So we did both last year. And so that's another thing we were looking at. Is like We don't have to always have two running backs. We can have tight end wing and then two receivers here, receiver here, receiver here, tight end wing. Like We can do whatever. And Because and, we see a lot of 3-3, three, three, tons of 3-3, three, three, mm-hmm. and that's why. That's why we want to look at that. Yeah. And if you find a guy who's, uh, you know, kind of that hybrid fullback, right, who maybe isn't a great runner, maybe isn't a great blocker, but he's good enough at both. Um, you know, kind of a, a, an undersized tight end. Let's just call it what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you can do all that stuff, and you don't have to change personnel, which really makes it nasty. You know, um, you know, hey, he can line up at wing one possession or one one snap. Mm-hmm. Hey, next snap he's going to come back, be that fullback set in the backfield. Hey, now we're going to even line him up in slot, maybe just as a decoy. But you know, he can run a good enough route to hold somebody. And I think that guy really can change an offense. A hard part becomes finding enough ways to utilize him without him getting bored. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's one of the problems we've had in the past is, hey, we use an H-back fullback. How can we get him involved, especially in the pass game? Um, you know, you're almost always going to get a linebacker on him in coverage, whether he's out of the backfield or whether he's a slot or whether he's at wing. I would say 80% of the time it's going to be a, a linebacker covering him. Mm-hmm. You can find that mismatch. You got you got to eat it up. Whether it's mm-hmm. just an arrow out of the backfield, um, I'm not a huge fan of swing routes. That's just me personally. But finding a way to get him the ball, wheel it, and he's one on one with a linebacker streaking up the sideline. Um, you know, there's a lot of different things you can do. And as far as like go back to you like running ISO, uh, one thing that we found this is I think 2017 2018 we were running. I mean, we're still 21 personnel. We we're gap scheme. I'm calling ISO my fullback is not running the hole, but we're getting huge yardage. I'm like, well, what the heck's going on here? And I went back and looked and he had basically taken our ISO play gap scheme and turned it into insert zone. He uh-huh. basically would go towards the hole, but he would see what the line blocked and then he would block up into the gap and the tailback would just follow him. We are ripping off huge yardage. Um, and so like kind of, that's kind of got me thinking about this too, is insert zone is really just ISO out of gap scheme, uh-huh. you know? Um, and if you can find a guy who's like, hey, I see a hole, I'm going to get up in there and block somebody, and tailback says, well, I see him, I'm just going to follow him, there's your ISO game, and you don't have to teach anything new. You know, it's you could still call it inside zone. You just have a fullback who's finding a gap and getting up in there. You give him the same aim point. It doesn't matter. Um, you know, or even move more towards that, like, mid-zone look. I know that's what a lot of teams do is that mid-zone run, insert zone there. But you can insert zone on inside zone all day long. It's the same for everybody. You're just adding extra blocker. And you're still getting it's your ISO look, basically. That's exactly what we did. I did the same thing where originally ISO was like, oh, let's hit B gap. Like, we're, I want to hit this. Mm-hmm. And then when I got to the school I'm at now, looked at it again, and I went, well, if it's there and it's blocked, he can't get there. So finally I just said, hey, Wings, it's up to you. Just look at the line. If there's a one technique and a five, you already know it's probably B gap. If you got a three, it's probably going A. Like, you just got to look and see. And we still called it ISO, like you said, but they was just yeah. you never knew where it was going to hit, and that's how more I coach now. Even on power, like on power, like yeah, yeah I might want to be B gap, but I tell them all like I don't know where it's going to hit, and and then the kids will look at you like, what do you mean you don't know? And I'm like, well, let's draw, let, let's line up, let's say they do this. It might hit A gap, it might hit B gap. Now, if we're getting to the C gap, that's a problem because you have it's going to be you're about to get hit. But like if you stay here, and that's you know when we all played, it was. 42 power. It's got to hit here. It's got to hit here. And then it's like, well, it doesn't always, not all the time. Big thing I found to really help with that. And, um, 
again, this is kind of something I've ruminated on a lot more since I stepped back for a few years is how do you allow them to understand that? And I think it's what I'm basically call series based coaching. Right. And I don't know how you guys do it, but, and this is kind of the way I was taught. And so I just carried on this naturally was every time we went team, right. Hey, we're going to call a play. We're going to run the play. All right. There's a play tweet, blow the whistle. Now let's coach it up. Hey, here's what you did right. Here's what you did wrong. Okay. You know, there's a minute between plays. Here's the next play we're going to run. What I think works better for most guys is work backwards, right? What do we see in a game? We run seven, eight, 10 play series. Why don't we coach that way, right? Why don't we say, hey, we're going to call plays just like we would in the game. And then, you know, if we score, if we fourth or even preset amount of plays, hey, we're going to run eight play series here. Okay. Let's debrief at the end of the series, you know, Mm -hmm. especially if you've got practice film, you know, then you can look at that the next day. I think, what happens is we get caught in these ideas as coaches as this is how the play is supposed to look. Now we're telling them, right. Hey, we don't know how it's going to look. We don't know where it's going to go. Okay. But in our minds, right. It has to go here. Mm -hmm. This is because like you said, that's how we were coached, right? That's what we were taught. Right. Right. But we know that doesn't happen in a game. So why do we then try and make it happen in practice? So run an eight play series. Hey, we're going to run, you know, power this play. Okay. Hey, we ran it, get in the huddle or get on the line or whatever your communication system is. Next play, next play, hit six, eight, 10 plays, whatever you want to do and say, okay, now let's debrief. Okay. Let's run back. We called power three times. One time it went a gap. One time it went B gap. One time it went C gap and you got ear hold. So what's our, what's our lesson there. And I really think that game like environment, even though it's not a game, it's not as jacked up. It's not as intense. You're running against your scout team. I get it. But still that learning experience, I think um, allows for them to understand, Hey, you know, we called power three times. One time it went A gap, it worked. One time it went B gap, it worked. And one time it went C gap, and it didn't work. Okay, mm-hmm. what did we do differently? You know, and I think that's really the, the the secret sauce, so to speak, is allowing them to learn in real time versus trying to force it to go to a certain place. Because I know I spent years doing that, and then I watch in a game, be like, why isn't it getting it to where it's supposed to be? Eh, because the other team gets coached too. The other mm-hmm. team has good coaches. You know what I mean? They've got good players. So instead of trying to force you know, at least in my head, Hey, this is where it needs to go. I'm going to learn the same time they're learning. Hey, we're really good when we call this play and it gets back to the A gap. All right. I'm just going to keep calling the same play. I'm not going to coach it differently, but I know that in my head, like, Hey, we want to get it back to the A gap or whatever it might be. And just build that series based coaching and run, you know, two, three, four series of that in your team session. And you're getting conditioning in because you're not stopping for a minute and a half between every play. You're just rolling plays like you would in a game. Um, you're getting that learning element in, uh, and then you're getting more comfortable as a play caller too. Hey, I know what our team's good at, not what we should be good at on paper, but I know for whatever reason we do really good. when We call this play. So I know that going into Friday night, I don't have to figure it out on Friday night. Mm -hmm. I even adopted that this year so far with, um, drills. Now I might be by myself, but I have my phone up. Now I'm the Mm -hmm. one filming it until, we had another coach on vacation when he comes back and be like, Hey, or take my phone and you do, you do it. But I sat there and had my huddle out on my phone and I say, you know, ready, set, and I don't know my whistle and I record it and I just roll. And Mm -hmm. then we watch film. I'm like, okay, let's watch the drill. Did you take your actual load step? Did you actually gallop this way? Like, which I have to get more comfortable with because in my mind, I'm like, I want to stop them right there and be like, this is what it has to look this way. It has to look this way. It has to do whatever. And I have to get more comfortable with that. I have to get, I have to, I always tell them be comfortably and uncomfortable, but I have to do that myself. Like I'm uncomfortable doing this, 
but we're getting through practice quicker. Even. We're not there for two hours or two and a half hours. Let's get it going so we can get out. Because those kids, they can't stay focused for the whole two and a half hours. Well, not even that. You think about the context of a season, right? We want them to be as fresh as they are on game day. Yeah. But how many countless hours do we beat them in the ground in practice? We not be beating them in the ground. That might be the wrong phrase, but even out there doing anything, right? There's physical fatigue, there's mental fatigue, and there's emotional fatigue. And like you just said, two and a half hours of them being completely focused is just not going to happen, right? We're we're at eighty five minute periods in the school day. And I was thinking about this the other day. There's a lot of teachers in our school complaining. We went from uh, having 45-minute class per 50-minute class periods, seven a day, to having four 85-minute class periods a day and, and doing like a block schedule. And their responses, and from a lot of coaches, right, oh, these periods are too long. The kids get distracted. I'm like, completely agree. Now think about that in the context of your sport mm-hmm. practice. <laughs> you know yep. what I mean? Like the same concept still applies. So you're right. You, get, you go series-based, you get more reps. You get them in, you get them, you know, working game speed. So there's a, you know, a, a physical adaptation, conditioning element. Um, you don't have to then beat them in the ground with, with sprints afterwards. That's a whole nother thing I won't get onto. You know what I mean? But in general, like, uh, it just makes it as much like the game as possible, right? You know, backwards design. We know what the, what the situation looks like. So how do we replicate that as much as possible in practice? And it's, series based it's allowing players to make mistakes and figure it out on their own because that's what they're gonna have to do on friday nights right we don't hey we only get three three timeouts right yeah. i can't stop every play so hey that guy keeps beating you across your face and crashing b gap and spilling the run you got to solve the problem on your own my guy like yeah. I, I can't do it for you yeah because i talked to coach tony holler about his feed the cats thing and like i'm trying to mm-hmm. I'm not in charge. I told the head coach about it. There's things he's not comfortable with. And I was like, I get it. You know, I'm uncomfortable with it too. When you think about it, like the old school way. Um, but I'm the only thing I can control is with my linemen. So like I tell him, Hey, you remember last year when we would do double team drills, maybe 10 minutes and we're hitting and we're hitting and we're hitting and we're hitting not anymore. And they go, what? And I was like, you're going to hit, don't get me wrong. There's times you're going to have to hit and practice, but it's not going to be me standing there for 10 minutes. I was like, if we do double teams to get to the linebacker, you might get three reps, but they got to be perfect. And that, yeah. and then it, and then it evolved on me to make it simple. Like, am I asking too much footwork? Am I doing this? Am I doing this? So I had to scale everything back, and I'm going to film it. And that's why they get three to four reps. And I'm going to say, then we watch it on film, and I want you guys fresh. We're not going to run. And this is all I have to do now. If they screw around, I just look at them. I go, do you want to go back to the old way? And I've already done it. Like, do you want me to go back to the old way? And you got the older guys smacking the younger ones. Shut up. <laughs> we don't want to... <laughs> Because I always told him, I used to coach track. And you see that track over there? We can go be a track team yeah. all the time. Yeah, no, I yeah, I love some of the stuff, Tony. I mean, I don't necessarily agree with everything he throws out there. Um, but I think, by and large, obviously, he's a much smarter man than I am. He knows what he's talking about. Um, you know, I work with some other coaches that know him well. And, and so I love that that's coming in. But, you know, it's what I've always called the limbro method. Less is more, bro. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like we get caught up. And as coaches, we really do this. Why? Because it's, if not the most important thing in our lives, it's probably top three, right? How many times do we say faith, family, football? But if you actually analyze what most coaches are into, that football might be a little higher than they want to admit, right? Mm-hmm. So for us, it's one of, if not the most important things in our life. For most players, it's not, you know, there might be a handful who maybe are, are D1 guys or really want to play on the next level and they're committed to it. Most guys want to play the game, have fun, um, you know, be with their teammates and things like that. So knowing that 
how do we then maximize their growth, their development and their ability and understand like that's probably by scaling back on the amount of stuff we're trying to force feed them mm-hmm. and being honest with, Hey, you know, where are they developmentally? You know, think about install schedules. And I, I was really bad about this. Hey, day one, we got to get this in day two, we got to get this in day three, et cetera, et cetera. But when you're doing that, you know, you get to like day five, like, man, we suck at everything. <laughs> well, yeah, probably. So why don't you go back and say, hey, did we master day one? Uh-huh. No. Well, then let's repeat it. Oh, hey, we did. Cool. Let's move on to day two. You know, um, and again, I, I fully admit this is not something I was good at when I was coaching. And it's stepping back has given me kind of that perspective of like, I would rather be really good at a handful of things than do what I used to do and try and have all the solutions to the issues and just kind of be garbage at most of them. You know, uh-huh. be OK at a few things. And when I had really good players, yeah, we looked really good, you know, but by and large, you know, it goes back to getting on the, the, the old coach Huey message boards in the late two thousands. And, you know, I learned about the sainted six and I think more and more about that. Like, Hey, you have six plays you can hang your hat on. You can, you can do some damage and, you know, then you throw in formations and stuff and that's just icing on the cake. And, you know, it goes back to what you're just saying though, giving them, it's not giving them less, per se it's just giving them more tools to work with uh-huh. you know and um i try not to use the word simplify because when you say simplify you get a lot of weird response i call it streamlining right let's streamline what we do let's be more efficient in our practices and i found you use that phraseology coach like oh yeah we want to be more efficient yeah we want to be streamlined you say simple like oh we don't want to be simple like it's not simple in scheme it's just simple in uh-huh. delivery and i think that's really what it comes down to yeah, and at least with O'Wyman, and I tried to do when I was the OC for the seven on sevens. Hey guys, I'll do the thinking. Like let let me do the thinking. Let me help. It's not correction. It's not criticism. Like that's the mm-hmm. other thing. Like they, people took it very personal, but especially with O'Wyman, I'm like, let me do the thinking. Like let me do the thinking, and if I give you less to think about, the more you know, the quicker we can do things. The more co- and the big thing is confidence. I'm like, if I know what I'm doing every day, I do it more confidently because I already know. Right. If you guys know exactly what's going on and you can handle being beat, I was like, I'm giving you a perfect world in the summer. In the summer, it's a perfect world. They're always going to be a one and a three technique in the perfect world. But guess what? There might be a four I. There might be a three, four I, and a zero. What are you going to do with that? Oh, this kid is 300 pounds. <laughs> what, what do you like? But if you're confident, just get in their way and I do all the thinking for you on the game. You come over to me, explain it to me. I'll do the thinking for you. Like, don't, don't do that. You know, I feel the earth, I always tell them, I feel the earth shake when you guys think and they don't understand it. But I'm like, okay, you guys are too young. Yeah. I think, you know, uh, the thinking they have to do is between snaps and between series or, you know, during the, in, on the field. Mm-hmm. And then like, I think kind of what you're getting, you know, which I agree with is like, the more you can get them game like reps, the more they feel at ease with the scheme, the more they feel at ease with what you're telling them works but they also feel more at ease with problem solving on their own so that when you're between snaps three and four of a series, they're not looking at you saying, Hey coach, what are you running here? They know what to do. They have that confidence in their skills. And then between series, like you said, they come back and say, Hey coach, this is what we're seeing. Da, 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 da. What's our, you know, what do you think a solution? One of my favorite things to do is especially if we're doing that series based practice, right? Is after that first practice series or whatever, you come back and say, okay, uh, what did you guys see? All right. Bup, 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 bup. Where do we struggle? Okay. How would you fix it? You know, uh, questioning them has, was a huge success payoff for me because it allowed them to then start thinking like, hey, okay, what's what 
what would coach do here? What should we do here? And then that made the thinking even easier because I didn't have to think as hard and they didn't have to think as hard. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's really where the roots of that confidence is just understanding, like trusting in what you've been taught, trusting in what you've learned um, and just going out and doing it. Yeah. I did that in seven on seven with a guy that's volunteering to be quarterback. So we have a guy that has played a little bit. Then we have two sophomores and we have another junior who's like, you know what? I will do it. I'm he's that guy. He's like, Oh, you want me to be a lineman? I'll be a lineman. You want me to be quarterback? I'll be quarterback. And I did that to him. I said, Hey, what play do you think is going to work here? And his eyes got real big. He goes, what? And I was like, yeah, what do you think? And they were all in shock, and they didn't know an answer. And I was like, all right, I'll pick. But it was like, I don't know if they've ever been asked that before. Like, well, what do you think? Because it was seven-on-seven, seven, and I tried to tell them, this is not the end-all, be-all. This is a seven-on-seven. Seven. Let's have some fun. What do you think? So then I did it the next game to him. I'm like, hey, what do you think? He goes, oh, can we run this? And then quickly get back to the huddle and run this. And I was like, perfect, go. It's yeah, fine. I think that's the hard part as a coach is when they come back and say, hey, coach, I want to run this. You've got a way that is that actually a good idea? With the hey, we need to build their you know right. <laughs> their, their their knowledge base here, but you know I almost always had a simple check if anything they said was completely asinine. But um, usually, I mean, after time, it, it made sense. You're like, hey, yeah, not what I would pick, but you're there. Let's run it, you know. And I, I would say usually had success doing that. You know, obviously not a hundred percent, but by and large, when I asked them, they knew what to say in you know in regards to their teammates on the field, or you know, it might be as simple as like, hey. We need to get X player the ball, man. He, you know, they can't stop him. Let's get him the ball. And again, from the sideline or from the box, I may not be seeing that, but they come in. So, you know, Hey, all right, let's get him the ball. Here we go. Mm-hmm. You know? Um, and I think that's just a huge part in their development as players and your development as a coach. Um, that trust goes both ways. You know what I mean? I won't have done that when I was a 25 year old OC. I'd be like, Nope, you are not. I, I never did that. I never was like, the only thing I might have done is with my quarterback, how's your arm feel? Like if you can't throw very far right now or something happened, that'd be the only time I never said, hey, what do you think? <laughs> Looking back, I was like a complete asshole. Like I didn't even think about what they were seeing. It was just, I was 25 years old. Like I know everything and I'm going to do what I want to do. Now that I'm older, I'm, I never would have done that. Well, what do you think? Or, well, you, or in basketball, I do that too. Like, you probably coached like you were coached. Yeah. And I think that's a big thing. And I think what we're seeing now, you know, I kind of remember the few watershed moments for me, right? You know, you're coaching like you were coached, right? I graduated high school in 2002. We were a wing T team. Like, yes, there was a way to do things. That's the way you did it. And that's how it was done. Okay. Um, But, you know, as I got older and realized, like, that's just not efficient. That doesn't make sense to me. You know what I mean? Like, that's not how I learn. Like, I don't want to just be told what to do. Like, I want to know the why behind things. Mm-hmm. And if I'm curious like that, I know other people are as well. So, yeah, I mean, that's definitely a big philosophical shift for a lot of coaches. And when you're young, you're right. You coach the way you were coached. Um, you know, hey, we're going to run this play. Here's how we're going to do it. Don't don't talk back to me. Let's go. Let's go run it. And nowadays, like, I almost view a player talking back to you as in, like, that's a valuable conversation because now they're saying – Coach, we don't trust you on that. We want to know why you're doing that. Okay, that's fair. Let me explain to you why I'm doing that. Or, you know, again, like we just said, they're on the field. Maybe they're telling us no for a reason. This is going to work. I, you know, I don't, you know, obviously with some of the sideline features, the video sideline stuff, it's a little bit different now. But again, in the moment, they're going to see what what's being seen versus me on the sideline. And, you know, I think there's value into saying, okay, maybe there's a reason they're pushing back. 
Um, sometimes it is due to ignorance and that's where, Hey, here's why we're running this. I hear you, but this is what we're going to do. But sometimes it's legitimate. Like, you know what? You're right. Let's give that a shot and see what happens. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I think so many, not so many, a lot of coaches are just reticent to do that because it's that it's control, right? It's that C word, that nasty C word. If we give control to players, then what are we doing? But And honestly, that's a, in my opinion, a symbol of a well-coached team. And now we have to eliminate between well-coached and a lot of wins. Those are not the same thing, in my opinion. That's a long story for another day. But, you know, well-coached team is a team that has that symbiotic relationship where players come back and say, hey, coach, this is what we want to run. Cool, let's run it. You know what I mean? And there's that two-way level of respect. Yeah, I don't know if you found yourself doing this. I found myself doing this now where as soon as I explain something, I say why immediately. And I didn't realize that until last year, I think. Like if I was on the board and I say, we're going to run this because we're going to try to do this or mainly the reason why. And I realized like some coach might say, we're running power. And that's all they'll say. Like we're blocking this, we're doing this. If I come up on the board with anybody and I say, we do this, and I immediately say the reasoning. And I think maybe because they kept questioning it. So maybe in my mind, I immediately was just like, this is why. Like, do you understand why? And I never did that before. And the next step in that evolution, because you said you got most of your alignment coming back, right? Yeah. Draw it up and then ask them why. Why do you think we're doing this? You know, why are we doing it this way versus another way? And get them to generate the ideas and, you know, that sort of thing. And that's kind of that next level and that's that next step. And that's giving them a better knowledge base of the game, which only, you know, the old saying, a rising tide floats all boats. The more knowledge they have, the better it is for everybody. Right. Um, which I have done. I might be like, Hey, you remember when we ran this last year? And some of the older guys are like, yeah, because we're doubling to that linebacker. Perfect. Then the young guys, they don't, they don't know it yet. Uh, but I find myself doing that too. Like now you had to get their memory jogged in the summer. Like, you know, they don't remember because we don't have spring ball or anything. So they're, they're trying to get the cobwebs out. But then once they're out there doing, they go, Oh yeah, I remember this. I remember this. And then like, I remember saying double team drill and like, Let's just go. And the older guys knew what footwork. Didn't have to. Now, would they screw it up? Of course they did. But I filmed it. And I said, okay, you did this. And it just makes things more efficient. Like, I'm not as stressed out. Like, I'm filming it. And I found if I'm focused on filming it, I'm not necessarily focusing on what they're doing wrong. I might see it. But I'm thinking, like, all right, hurry up. Come on. We got to go. Get this filmed. We're going to be fresh for team. We're going to be fresh for you know, the game, that's the mindset I want to have going into the season. And we're going to be fresh. We're going to be fresh. And I'm not yelling. I looked at my thing. My heart rate has not been over 120 any practice. And I'm like, because basketball, I got up to 180 one time. I should have had a heart attack. Basketball is a whole nother animal. (laughs) Coaching the freshman A game. Intense (laughs) game. It was intense. And I have my watches going off. And I'm like, somebody keeps calling me. So I finally looked. I'm like, Oh no, it's telling your heart rate is like 180 and I probably should have had a heart attack. And then the B game, I'm just sitting there watching it and I keep looking down and it's still, it just, just never stopped. And I'm like, Oh, so the next day I went to the kids. I was like, you're going to see a new coach, Steve. I'm not going to freak out. And they all looked at each other and I'm like, cause I should have died. I probably should have fell over. So football said the same thing. The same thing applies in basketball, right? Like just, What's the most fun for players? Well, when you scrimmage, right? Where are they probably learning the most? When they scrimmage, you know, they're learning their spacing. They're learning their positioning. You know, obviously it's not just a free-for-all. You want some sort of structure in there. But, um, you know, one thing I've, uh, I've kind of stumbled onto working with some other guys that uh, 
a group called Essential Coaching. They they're they're basketball coaches. Mm-hmm. But what they do is when they scrimmage, they have what they call hundred point games where they're scoring everything, not just buckets. And basically, success is based upon how many points did we score on this possession. Hey, getting that extra pass is worth an extra certain amount of points. You know, uh, getting the right screen is worth a certain amount of points, et cetera, et cetera. And I know there's a coach down in Louisiana who does it with football. And I got to thinking about that. I was like, to me, that seems just a much better way to grade out a, a practice session, right? Mm-hmm. Like, hey, we ran this eight-play series for team practice. In that eight-play sk- series, we scored 78 points, okay? We want to score 100, but 78 is decent or whatever you're, you're, you know. And you can grade like, yeah, like you said, uh, you know, whatever your grading rationale is. And everybody's got a different thing they want to grade, which is fine. Um but, you know, by and large, that allows you to look at teams and say, hey, as a team, we scored 78 out of 100 points. Is that where we want to be? Yes. Uh-huh. Okay. No. All right. Then what do we need to improve on? And I think that just gives you a lot more flexibility without focusing so much on every nitty-gritty detail, which I know so many coaches are arguing because they love every nitty-gritty detail. And I understand that. I really do. But, again, what can we control on Friday nights? Not every nitty-gritty detail. Only the players can control that. So how do we then help them learn that? It's not by, you know, bird dogging for half hour every day. Like, just not getting it done. You know, it's it's allowing them to play, allowing them to feel out the game, and then critiquing their performance as gameplay, not as drill play, if that makes sense. Yeah, and then one thing I did, and I don't know if it's a mistake, it will, I'll find out eventually. And film... Like, for example, if we're just doing it on bags, I say, I need a load step, a quick put down, boom, into the bag, gallop, I need this. Mm-hmm. Well, in one of the films, it showed a kid, he just turned and ran and hit the guy. And this is how I approached it. And I, I don't know if it's a mistake or not. I said, hey, what should we have done here? And an older guy will tell this guy, oh, he should have load step, pick this foot up, put it back down. But then I'll say, but in a game, if that was an actual block, do you guys think I would take that block in a game? And they're like, yeah. So I try to make them not feel dumb about making a mistake. And I go, now, can we strive, strive for perfection, strive for that footwork? Yes. Are we always going to do it every single time? No. And I told them, that. I said, I understand that. So don't be afraid to make a mistake, but then understand what I'm trying to tell you. Yeah. No, I mean, I think that you're spot on there. I mean, I think at the old, at the end of the day, execution is what matters most, right? Mm-hmm. Like we want execution. Mm-hmm. Do we really care how it happens? To a certain extent, yes, but not really. Like you no. just said, right? Yeah, there is an ideal way we want you to execute this. Agreed completely. But ultimately, we want you to execute a block. Get in that guy's way. At the end of the day, however you figure out how to do it as a player works for you, okay, right? It, it's like one of the big things that everybody freaks out about, right? It's like quarterback arm slot angles. I'm like, why? You know what I mean? Like, oh, it's got to be over the top. Well, like, Look at the best guys in the game now. You know what I mean? Like they're over the top. They're three quarters. They're sidearm. Like Mm -hmm. we spend more time worrying about this nitty gritty detail that ultimately isn't as important as we think it is. You know what I mean? Um, You know, and and it's just one. I mean, Byron left, which made a a, a career in the NFL and a historic NCAA career by slinging everything sidearm. You know, why are we worried about whether it's over the top three quarters or sidearm? Like, Whatever works, works. You know, can he get the ball on time where it needs to be? Yes, cool. I'm not going to sweat too many of the little little details. Same thing with with O line footwork. And I, again, I say this as a guy who on the front end of my career was very much like, no, you got to do it this way. You got to step hand placement here. Da, da, da. Now it's here's ideally how we want to do it, and we'll drill how to ideally do it. Don't get me wrong, but in a game when the bullets are flying, so to speak, 
I'm more worried about you blocking that guy. Uh Bottom line, execute the block, get it done. Right. Um, You know, and I, and I like, and again, to coaches who say, no, they got to do it this way. I would respond. How would you like to be treated in your job? Right. Most of us are teachers. Okay. Or work in education. And what do we all hate when the admin shows up and says, you have to do it this way. Every coach gets pissy about that. Oh, the admin can't tell me how to do my job. I know how to do my job. I've been teaching for 20 years. I know how to do my job. You're right. You do. Okay. So why don't we carry that to the same level with our players? Like we will provide you with the skill and we'll help you develop the skill. We'll provide you with what we feel is the best way to do things. But ultimately you're the one playing. You need to execute the block because if you can't execute the block, your way, you're probably not going to execute the block my way. Uh-huh. So we probably need to find someone else to play that position, if that makes sense. Right. Um, you know, there's some nuance in there, obviously. But by and large, like, if they can't block, they can't block. Um, you know, because it, it just – it's a, so much of blocking is really just understanding leverage and everything else is kind of window dressing. Yep. And if you're not big enough and you go get someone bigger, doesn't matter. Even if you have leverage – yeah. And that's why this year, like I said, for example, the kid just ran in front and got into this guy. But guess what? His aiming point was the right aiming point. The footwork just didn't get there. And I tell them, like, but in a game, if you did that and we gained three yards, am I okay with that? And they're all like, the, the young kids wants to wants us to say no. The older guy's like, no, he's fine with that. And that's why, like, I found a positive in it. Hey, your aiming point is exactly where you need to go. But because you took this footwork, the gap opens up. They might rip underneath of you and make the play. But if you actually blocked them, let's say you got the hand placement, the aiming point was right, the footwork wasn't there. Yeah, I'm going to coach it on film. I'm going to say, hey, this should have been the footwork. But then I end it with, but look what happened. Now, if they get their butt kicked, then I might be like, well, see, I'm the smart one. Listen to me. And I joke with right. them. I always tell them in my film room. I walk in. I did it to, I did it the other day. All right. I look at my senior O-lineman. In film, am I truthful? And then he's like, yes. I said, is the truth hard to hear sometimes? And he's like, yeah. And I'm like, is it personal? And he goes, no. And so I, I, I set that out with the kids. I'm like, I might say something that's outrageous. Like one kid stood up really high and I said, you ain't taking him to prom. We ain't dancing. Like what the hell are you doing? And then the kids laugh and I'm like, see, I'll say outrageous things. Hey, look, you know, and, but it's not personal. Right. And they get that. I think that's a big thing too. One of the internet debates you always see is, you know, and I'll just call it old school versus new school. It's not that, but you know, player centric versus coach centric, whatever you want to call it. Right. But like you said, you haven't yelled at all this summer and some would say, well, then how are you holding them accountable? You know what I mean? But it's just exactly what you said. Like I cannot raise my voice at them and still be completely mm-hmm. honest with them mm-hmm. and hold them accountable. Like I don't understand this idea. Like, Oh, I got to discipline them. I got to yell at them. Like, you know, I think back to my own growing up, right? Like, yes, my dad yelled at me, but the times that I was most not scared, that's not the word I'm going to use, but the most, um, the times I felt I disappointed my dad the most is when his voice was level mm-hmm. and he was honest and he was critical and just said something like, I'm disappointed in you. <laughs> like that hurt way more. And I held on to that way more than any sort of yelling. And like, I think about that, like if I can deliver honesty and you know be calm cool and collected like that's going to mean more to them than you know if i do the traditional coaching which is when i just start throwing stuff and you know spouting off and yelling like they've had that happen to them from youth ball on so why is that going to register with them now you know instead hey you're right you messed up 
here's how you messed up. You need to do a better job and that sort of stuff. And it just, it resonates with them so much more in my opinion. Yeah. I mean, I, I shouldn't say I, sh- I don't yell, but like you said, like if they do something wrong in the draw, don't stop and be raid. Like we did yeah. inside run. I'm yelling during inside run. Don't get me wrong. Or, or coaching loudly, I should say. Yeah. Raising your voice loudly. to be heard. That's different. Yeah. You know, but so yeah, that, that those coach, I told him, I said, my heart is not going to take it if I continue on this path. And I'm about to be 33. I said, already at 33, it will not last if I keep going 140 beats a minute, 150 beats per minute, 160. Like, it's not going to happen. But I'm getting gray hairs. And, like, this is happening. And I'm like, it's not going to last because I do three sports. I said, there's no reason why I'm, I will kill over. So yeah. I got diagnosed with high blood pressure at 30. And I was kind of like, well, something's got to change here. I got to stop kind of losing it on everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was kind of the first step in me being like, okay, maybe there's a better way to do it. And, you know, just being assaulted by animals right now. I got a cat scratching at my chair. My dog's <laughs> staring at me like I need to do something. The other one's shaking because we just had a thunderstorm. <laughs> my parents had a thunderstorm and the limb has been there for five days on top of their power line. <sighs> They've had power. So since they yeah. said they had power, they said it's not important to come get the tree limb right now. And I was like, oh, mm. sure. Until it snaps. That's sketchy. <laughs> until it is too late and everything snaps. They had a storm on Thursday last week and people still don't have power. It was bad. Real bad. That's, oh, absolutely. Yeah, we've been fortunate here. We've had some thunderstorms with nothing serious come through here and for a while, but just means we're probably due, right? Well, they had 85-mile-an-hour winds, and so trees Ooh. were taken out of the ground. Power lines snapped in half all over the place. People's garages got blown off. They didn't. The only thing they had was that tree limb fall, and instead of hitting the house, it pulled down the cable power line. Now it was just so when I went home, it's just hanging there, and I was like, "Oh, I'll, I'll try to move it." And they said, "Well, you realize if you try to move it and it breaks, it can electrocute you through the wood." And I was like, "Oh, maybe yeah, I don't touch it." We're not going to touch that. <laughs> and they just got it yesterday. Yesterday, or no, today they came and finally cut the thing off. But then they said, oh, we'll cut the part that's touching the power line. The rest is you. And they just left it. They're like, we'll cut this part off. The rest is you. And they left. Nice. Got to love it. Well, Coach, you guys pay taxes. Oh, they, but their taxes are nothing. They're in central Illinois. Their taxes are oh, Okay. Nothing. All right. All right. If I told people what they pay a year in property taxes, they'd be like, what? I'm sure. Now, I, I remember those empty tracks of Midwestern land. Well, that's the thing. I went to get gas in, in Chicago. It's like, or suburbs. I don't live in Chicago. I live in the suburbs. I got to promote that. It's like 419. And then I went down there and it was like 319. And I was like, all right, it's better. Yeah. Yeah. Living in urban areas has its benefits, but also has its drawbacks. That's for sure. I was fine with it. I visited there this weekend. I loved it. I'm like, oh, it's peaceful. There's one lane roads, Uh, you know. You have your local tavern about eight steps away if you wanted to. <laughs> That's one thing I remember about living in southeast Wisconsin. There literally was a local tavern on every corner. Like it's just the way it was. And there's nothing wrong with that. You know, it was it was it was, it was always funny to see. They had a Jeep bar crawl, so everybody had their Jeeps out that Saturday going from place to place. You hear that? That's the only thing you hear all day is the is the Jeeps. Ooh. That's it. All right. Well, I gotta get going. I gotta go pick up my son from daycare. All right. Well, I appreciate you coming on to talk some ball yeah. coach. You're yeah. still a coach. Yeah, I mean, You're still a coach. Uh, yes. I, I guess it's part of who I am. I'm coaching my son through life now. Right. Or something like that. Yes. But I'll, I'd like, I tell people I said, when I'm ready to get back in the game, 
I'll find, you know, I'll go be somebody's JV offensive line <laughs> assistant. It doesn't matter. I know that there's always a need for coaches. And so I know it'll be there and looking forward to it one day, but just not quite yet. Especially all line coaches. You can't find them. Absolutely. Absolutely. So it's, it'll be good to get back in the game one day. But now, I, like I said, I have the time to sit back and kind of view how I used to do things and analyze things with a neutral perspective versus being like, this is what I want to do. Like, it doesn't matter. I don't have anything to do. So what can we analyze and so that when we get back into the game, we do better. And that's mm-hmm. kind of what I'm trying to do now is grow in that regard. So when time does come to get back in the game, I'm a better coach and better man for it. Right. Well, I appreciate you coming on. Um, we'll do it again. I know you have more time than I do, but I'll find time. <laughs> Whenever you want, coach. I'm all about it. <laughs> I appreciate you. Thank you. No problem, buddy. Take care.